so much, but, uh, you know, in all the things that God does in our lives and uh, moves us, transitions us, takes us places we might not have went or gone before, um, I say thank you for having me uh, to hang out with you. At the beginning of the summer, it was, um, you know, can you catch this Sunday and this Sunday for us in, in August, and sure, and then and she's like, okay, and so here I am seven or eight weeks later, so, uh, wow, <laughs> she just snuck it in there, so, but, uh, but it has been a great pleasure um, in the sense to get back in the groove of speaking every week. Uh, after pastoring a church for a number of years and being at the mission for on the mission, I would speak every Sunday night. I would speak every Friday night to a whole new group of people, so I could tell the same jokes and they laughed really hard. It was great, you know. And uh, so it's it's been neat because my platform for speaking or preaching, pretty much, and you've heard a lot of it too, has has been about the farm. It's been about caring for the earth and caring for things that are unique. And I think. There's seasons in our life where we really pour out in an area of, let's, let's say it's children's ministry perhaps for you, that you're going to pour out for a number of years in children's ministry, and then it might move to something else. Now, I'm not putting an omen on you or anything, but just in case. But, so, but that's how life is. Because you, and you gain insights in so many different areas. I've got to concentrate because I have to capitalize. Okay. And that's why I got to concentrate, because it didn't work. Okay. Bingo. Because then God uses you by taking those experiences of life, and he brings them into fruition in another aspect that you may have never realized of how you were being groomed, how you were being cared for in those moments and in those times to bring you there. So in the same sense, I, I say thanks for being here because it's, it's been just a couple years since I've actually spoke every Sunday. And so to come back and do it again has been a joy, a treasure. And so as much as you guys are thanking me, I'm thanking you for letting me be here too. And I appreciate it. So, so today, right in line with some of the aspects of these two songs of having some stick to and having some drive and having that ability to hold on. Um, I think I threw out a couple weeks ago a little phrase, uh, you know, tie a knot on the end of your rope and hold on. And, and I think sometimes in life we need to do that more often than, you know, pitch in the towel. Because if we're really in this family of God and we're really devoted to the things that happen, we don't have a towel to throw in because we've already been bought in. And that's the power of the good news that changes us and moves us and develops us to be the people of faith. So, so today, I just want to take a couple moments um, before we get started and, and pray again. I always feel... Just as much as we'll take this time to, to pray and, and think that, oh, this is a great thing for the body of Christ to do, as someone that stands before you to speak, it's just as refreshing for me to let go of the things from the past week too, to be able to stand here and then feel free and feel basically a, a cleansing breath of it. So this morning, um, I'm just going to ask that you'll just, you know, as you're sitting there, just set your hands on your lap. 
and then we'll take a, uh, a deep breath, take a deep breath in, and we'll hold that for about five, one, two, three, four, five, letting that out. Jesus, we come to you today from a week full of perhaps joy, perhaps sorrow, but you know the weak, perhaps restless, perhaps sleepless nights, perhaps wondering, Lord, where did the warm weather go? But we know this is the season of bright colors as times change. Let your love bring the colors of love and light to each one of us as we hear your word, as we think through the lyrics of those worship songs. And we stay steadfast to the calling of your love and your devotion to care for us as your people. We thank you, Lord. Let your spirit come and move among us, teaching us the things that you have. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I've um, titled today's talk, What's Troubling You? And I'm basically going to just share a, a piece of Jesus' life in the sense of, not that it was troubling him, but when I get to the end of this talk, I'm going gi- to give you the end of the movie right now, so I'm going to spoil it for you, okay? What, whatever's troubling you, Jesus wants you to know that it's in him. And it's Him alone that you will have forever and ever to hold on to, no matter what the trouble is. So as I think about this talk, what's troubling you, I, 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 I'm not here to go around the room and, and know every individual personal trouble and circumstance and situation in your life, because you and God both know them. And you know them to the most intricate detail of where that trouble might be or where that discomfort is or where that heartache is or where I wish that didn't happen again. Or I heard this little phrase just the other day. Somebody said, I was trying to quit smoking, so I took my pack of cigarettes and I went out behind the deck and I cut, I cut two boards off and I dug a hole and I buried the pack of cigarettes in there and I put the, covered it with dirt and I put the two boards back on and I screwed them onto the deck because the next time I had to smoke, I was going to have to go all the way back outside, unscrew the boards, dig the hole up, get the cigarettes. And, and the thing is, is she said, don't quit quitting. And, and so where is that trouble? Where is that circumstance in your life that it's something that you want it to be different or you wish it was? And sometimes there's things that we just can't change because it's the surroundingness, but we can change our perspective in the way we do this life and how we live it. So what's troubling you? I don't know. What's troubling me? You don't know. But the thing of it is, is we serve and can come to a God that can give us the strength to go forward. The stories after stories of the challenges of the circumstances in the Old Testament and the New Testament with the apostles, with the beginning of the early church, story after story of things that pressed in on people's lives. 
So if I give you a laundry list, some of you might go, Woo! He didn't mention mine. I'm good. Okay? Okay, I'm good. Wow, okay. Or it's like, you know, you'll come up after me. Man, you said exactly what's going on in my life. You know, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe... Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. But the point of is I want it to be able to know that this can blanket and cover whatever it is. Whatever God wants to work on in your life. Maybe it is relationship with spouse. Maybe it is communication. Maybe it is finances. Maybe it is, you know, uh, the, the big three in counseling, sex, drugs, and alcohol, or whatever those might be. You know, however it is in life, we always have something. But by living the life... We, we get to think, what's next? How many of you have seen that uh, farmer's commercial, the farmer's insurance commercial? I think I've got this quote right because I, I love this part. Because they'll talk about all the things that are going on. The house is cr- the car's crashing into the roof of the house. And, and you're like, so I love this one line, I, if they got it up there now. It says, um, somebody says, well, how do you know all this stuff? And he says, I may know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. Right? Does that not just resonate with how life is? But sometimes I tell you, you know, 50 years ago, I wouldn't have thought that way. I thought I knew everything. And then I got a little older, and I knew a little less. Got a little older, and I knew a lot less. And now I hardly know anything. So, uh, but, but that's, what, that's what life is in those seasons of life. And when we start to have the perspective, and we see these youngsters up here, and we see them right here, and, and we start to pour into them. Our lives as parents, our lives as a community of faith, how we teach them in Sunday school, how we do a back-to-school program, whether it's homeschool, public school, the process of teaching and educating. Folks, it's life. What's troubling you? Put a side note in parentheses. Is it just fair to say it was a little concerning or troubling in the process of Voting and determining and saying, God, we want you to lead us and guide us for the next step. And next week is that step. And so I've shared it earlier. I think uh, um, maybe I'm going to send him an email this week that he should put the stage over here. And so that way that everybody comes in, if anybody comes in late, they've got to walk over the stage while he's speaking. <laughs> when they, oh, okay, all right, I'll hold off on that one. So, uh, but anyways, uh, no, I... I what about the, the, the what-ifs and the wondering over the past season that you guys have been in? It's life. You, you've, you've not been the first community of faith or church to have to transition with another pastor. So it can be done, and you're doing it, and you're taking the steps, and those are the things that we want to do. So what's troubling you as a community of faith? What's troubling you as an individual? What's tro- troubling you in your home how do you deal with it? Where's the rough spots? And then sometimes those are places that have been debilitating. And it's an old, older story, and I don't know that uh, she was an artist. Have, how many here have heard the name Johnny Erickson? Was a, uh, okay, that's what I'm saying. Us fine older folks, okay. Uh, <laughs> I said older folks. That means if you're 21 and up, okay. That means you can hear stories and... Consume a beverage, I guess. Okay. But anyways, um, no, the troubling and debilitating. Here's a young, brief story. A young woman is a teenager 
out having a wonderful vacation time at a lake and jumps off head first. And she's a quadriplegic from there forward. But here I am, how many years ago was that? 45 or who knows what? And I asked to raise hands and there's a, a, some hands raised in here because her story wasn't debilitating. She continued to move and change people's lives, even though it was troubling. If you go back and hear her story and read her books. And, but she offered faith and hope to so many people as she sat in a wheelchair and had somebody place a paintbrush in her mouth and she would paint wonderful portraits with the paintbrush out of her mouth and tell the story of a God who loved her so much that gave her life. And yet we would get up and leave after those moments and after those teachings and train. And she stayed in the wheelchair. And we'd walk out and go to lunch and so forth or wherever our events would be. So we never fully can understand what's troubling somebody else or the giftedness that it looks like when you would hear somebody like that who's a quadriplegic share the story of God's love. And we're like, what a story. It's amazing. I want to offer some words of Jesus today that hopefully will carry you in this season and many more to come, carry you corporately as a community of faith, can also help motivate you as an individual with whatever's going on, and also in the struggle if it never changes. Sometimes that's what I wonder because we live in a culture in the United States, 6% of the world's population, that we can see things change or we can make a phone call to get it done differently. We can be at Walmart and get a new piece of something. We can be there to take care of it. We can order the new part. It'll come in. We don't have to wait days. I'm experiencing a small piece of that right now. I sell at the farmer's market. I can sell 30 to 40 dozen eggs every week. I have birds that aren't laying because they're molting. I just can't call Walmart. Can you get these birds legs? Okay. No, there's a season that they produce and then they have to rest. And then they'll produce again. And so now, and so I've got people coming up. I'm here to get eggs. Ah, oh, man, I'm sorry. My birds are just really, we're, we're already out. We sold our eight or 12 dozen this morning. And, and we, I know we normally have 30 or 40, but what do you mean? Can't you get more eggs? What's the problem? Well, the problem is the birds just don't lay eggs. They're not listening to me. I'm out there. I'm praying over the hutch. I'm talking to them. I'm coaxing them. I'm giving them chocolate. And they're not, no. But there's a season of when things happen. And so if it's not something that's instant gratification, and we're big on that in our culture, in our country, and if we went to another culture in another country, sometimes we are struggling Brief story, being in Appalachia for three years working at the Redbird Mission, we had, uh, the groups would come in just like us, urbanized, northern Kentucky, here in the suburbs, urban area, we travel out to Appalachia, it's, it's, it's a backwoods area, and everything's kind of got a different pace, okay, and you're strolling along. Well, here's, here's a story that happened. This, 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 this new pastor comes to town in an area 
of Appalachia. And he sets a date. On Tuesday, they're going to paint the church. And he tells everybody about the meeting. They're going to meet at 10 o'clock. They've got all the paint and everything. And Tuesday at 10 o'clock, nobody shows up. He goes, geez, okay. So he goes the next week and he announces again at church. At Tuesday, you know, we'll, let, maybe we'll do lunch at 12, and then we're going to paint the church. And he's like, next week comes by, nobody shows up. And so he, he drives through town, and people are just hanging around, standing out there at that porch, and drives down another road, and they're just standing there around the guy's garage working away. And he's like, what is the deal? He goes, what? I don't get it. So the next week, he didn't announce at church that they were going to paint anything. On Tuesday at 10 o'clock in the morning, he set six ladders up in front of the church, set all the paint out on the front of the church, and he just started out there and started painting a little bit. 30 minutes later, he had 15 people helping paint. See, because there was a need, and there was a situation that people could see they needed to be a part of. Different way of thinking. Different way of completing the task. And so when we go in or we move into an environment and say, here's how it needs to be done, it it may not get done that way. It may take a different approach. And so how things happen look differently many different times. So we're going to pick up the words of Jesus as he's speaking to the apostles. He's teaching in John chapter 14. And in John chapter 14, Jesus has been baptized, and he's been going around, and he's been healing people, he's laid hands on people, he's raised people from the dead, and, and, people, and he's like, man, this, this guy's something. There's really something different about this Jesus, Jesus, and what he's telling us. And so, but some of these apostles which they're not necessarily termed apostles right now, they're disciples, they're learners, they're they're being trained through experiential circumstances and situations. So Jesus now is coming to them because they're going, what are we supposed to be telling all these people? How are we supposed to be doing this? And of course he's saying, come and follow me, and more people follow him. And they hear him speak at the Sea of Galilee, and and he feeds 5,000 people from a little boy's fishes and bread. And so they're like, the disciples are, but man, what, what are we really supposed to do? How do we do this? And there's this little bit of a frustration perhaps going on. And so in John 14, I want to pick up where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, the people that have been hanging with him. And here's the words that he tells them. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. And trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that? I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had already known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. 
There's always somebody that's got another question to this thing. And Jesus replied, have I, have I been with you all this time? Remember the feeding of the 5,000, people lame, walking again, people being healed, people coming to him going, my goodness, this, there's something unique. Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own. But my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. When you have troubles, who do you look to? Do you see the work that Jesus has done in your own life? Or is there something that's like a pylon that's been put into the ground with a, with a big auger and a bit and the post goes way down into the earth and the earth settles around it and it becomes unmovable like your faith? When you recognize who God is and how He's worked in your life? Or is it because you've walked away from cancer because you've been healed of it? Or is it because there's been a miraculous moment in some circumstance of situation of life that you've been touched and moved? Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. What's troubling you? The words of Jesus who we believe who died on that cross to give us hope and love and healing and to spend an eternity with Him says, don't be troubled. Believe in Me. Where's our belief system at? So the things that trouble us, do they deal with our belief? Or is it troubling because we're setting our belief to the side? Or I think perhaps it's both. It's paradoxical. It is troubling because it's affecting my life and it hurts me right now. And I either feel the struggle or the pain or I'm wondering where the end is going to come, when the end is going to come. But yet I still need to hold on to the strength of a God who loves me right where I'm at. But He loves me so much where I'm at that He can't let me stay there. He always has to give me opportunities to see Him work. I shared last week, it's not how... We do things, it's how we see things. Sometimes we need new spectacles to see clearer. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Many times we get focused on the things of our lives instead of the things that God can do for us. Over the years, you'll hear the stories of people who've taken their misery and turned it into their ministry. Lady in Columbus, who was a, uh, a gentleman's club dancer, all that jazz and so forth, and saw the lifestyle and lived it, came to faith in the person of Jesus Christ, 
took her misery and made it ministry. And so she stayed at those gentlemen's clubs until one or two in the morning with little gift bags for their kids when she recognized there was a car seat in the back of that girl's car and there was some other kids' clothes and toys in the back of that car. And she would take stuff there and she'd say, hey, come here, I, I know you've been in working. I used to do this too and so forth. I just want to share with you, uh, you know, how much I, I, I know that this is challenging and tough and whatever the circumstances in life of why you're here doing what you're doing, you know that they're, and she built a relationship. And the girls, she said, they'd say, "Why are you doing this?" And she says, "Because I was there once too." She says, "But there's a better life. Can I share it with you?" See, when people see your life, they want to hear your story. Many young people, many young women, she shared her story. She made her misery into a ministry. And cared for people's lives. What's troubling you? How do you want it to turn around? A a phrase you've probably heard numerous times if you've been involved in in Christian ministries are the words of Jesus that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. What does that mean to you though? Fascinating words. They're powerful. Or does it mean something that it sounds so rosy and so beautiful that I can't get to it? I can't, I can't see it really, but I know that that sounds wonderful. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And sometimes I find my own life too, that I surround myself with really good people and we're really close, but I'm not recognizing the way and the truth through Jesus because I've surrounded myself with all these good people and I don't get outside my box too often to recognize that there's a lot of other challenges and difficulties going on that my challenges and difficulties look pretty small to get a real perspective in life. And a lot of life is just our perspective because we get so stuck in our box thinking where it is that we become negative nanny. We, you know, uh, you know, bully Bob, whatever it is, in the sense that we, we just stay in our own circumstances. But God wants us to step out when we see that He is the way and the life and the truth. Truth is tough. But when you get to the truth, you can't really then go look at all the other options and stuff because here it is, it's laid out. Wow, it sounds like politics. Oh, I'm not going to go there. Okay. But anyways, uh, so what can we change when it's troubling you? Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Are we staying focused on who that person of Jesus is? Are we really knowing who he is in the midst of challenge? And sometimes are we really knowing who he is when when it's like, yes, this is going so great. I'll be back in a minute, God. This is going wonderful. Don't worry about it, God. I got this. You know, oh, man, it's got to be hand in hand. God, thank you so much. I'm amazed at, you know, how the circumstance is working out. You are showing me the way. You are leading. So many times we need to make sure 
that we are surrounding ourselves with the goodness of who God is so we can see the way, the truth, and the life that he has for us. In that pillar that gets put in the ground, Jesus says in verses, verse 11 here, or at least believe because of the work you've seen done. What have you seen God do in your life? That no matter what comes your way, no matter what waves crash in, what winds blow you, that you are able to hold on and to grip. I I read a book this past summer by a Greek Orthodox clergy, a Palestinian man who lives in Israel. His name is Elias Chakor. And he shared a piece of his story that as a young boy, this would be in the late 30s, a lot of transition in history. And I'm just going to share a few of these pieces. I'm not going to try to get on one side or the other in this aspect of Palestine and Israel. But there was a, a, a number of folks... Jews coming back to the Holy Land, Israel. And there were people who lived in that land. Well, this little boy, Elias Chakar, was somewhere between the ages of six and seven years old. And he lived in this little town that they believed Jesus had literally walked through in Palestine. And he shares as a little boy, there was nine kids in his family, how devoted they were that every day there were prayers at the table in the morning with mom and dad. And that church was a high day for six to seven hours on Sunday of recognizing who Jesus was and what he has done for us to give us this life, even though they lived extremely poor. But the whole village did. And he said, as a little boy, one day, he said some soldiers showed up at the door. And they said, we have news that you need to leave. You can't stay in this home anymore or in this village. And they said, well, what do you mean? He said, we've lived here our whole life, our ancestry, and so long, for many years. He says, no, you must leave. And they had tanks, Israeli tanks, and soldiers, and they marched everybody out of the town. And he shares in that story, and he says, and I didn't really know what was happening. He says, but we all left, about 300 people from our village. And we left, and we went over the hillside, and they kept us going. And he says, and then the soldiers all moved into our house as we would send a few people back to look over the hillside to see what was going on. And so week one went by, week two went by. And so some of the village people got together and they wrote a letter to Jerusalem to say, what is going on in our city? Why can't we live in our homes? And they got a letter back a few weeks later and said, oh, you can live in your homes. It's fine. You can go back. And so they take the letter and they take it to the down into their own village, and they see the soldiers, and they take it to the sergeant, and they say, here's a letter from Jerusalem that says this can be our our home, that you're not supposed to be here. And he said, they looked at us, 
and they tore the letter right in front of us. He says, you tell them to show up. You need to leave. We are here. So they, they left at gunpoint. And he says they decided to write another letter and say, look, you know, this isn't happening. It, they didn't let us back into our town. They sent that letter to Jerusalem. They wouldn't let us back in our town. And he said, so what? And they got a letter back, and they says, go back. You can go into there. You tell them that it is okay with this letter. So the people gathered, and they said, all right, we, we've really got to be able to do this. They go down there, they share the letter with him, and he takes the letter, and the guy says, okay. He says, here's what we'll do. He says, I see the letter. He says, you come back on December 24th, and he says, and we'll let you guys have the village back. He says, no problem. And that's like two weeks away from where they're at in December. And so they were all excited. They were pleased. They were worshiping God. They were focused on God. He said they had prayers every morning and every night. Their services were so intense. that He says the village felt like it even got closer and closer and tighter together. And they packed all their stuff up because they've been sleeping under the stars with just blankets. And, and he said, so they're making it back to this village. And they make it back then on December 24th. And as they approach coming to the hill, they see a whole line of tanks. They were celebrating the people to come into the village. And once they saw the village people crest the hill, the tanks bulldozed every home in the village in front of them on Christmas Eve. And as I read that story, I started to cry. Because what do you do when you're troubled and you feel like all hope is lost? We don't get that feeling very often. Maybe some of us do. I'm going to stand before you and say, I haven't had that feeling. I've lost a dad to cancer, but it didn't feel like all hope was lost. But it's sad. It's not the best thing. But it's something I can pick myself up in a period of time and work through a grief process and go forward. But Elias Chakar is still alive today in his late 80s as a Palestinian who is devoted to believing and seeing God work when his life of anything that he's known as a child has been bulldozed to rubble. And he had to go back and see God work again in his life as he went on to school and continued to go forward. But the thing of it is, is perspective. Perspective. Of what life has for you. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. In the midst of Elias' story, he shares that the village leaders... He says, in the moment, it was wailing and weeping and could not imagine the horror it felt to see their village town decimated to rubble. He says, but what I did learn as a little boy 
is that all those men and women as adults leaned in and held on to God, that God is still in control. They did not abandon their faith in one bit. They continued their level of worship and prayer and consistency to love a God through His Son Jesus that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And history goes on. They've never gone to that village. To this day, 2019, it's still decimated to rubble. What's your trouble? Are you pressing in on God in the moments you need it? And when the moments are good, are you still holding on to God because He's helping you get through there and He's giving you the insight to see the season that you're in to carry you through it? Let us pray.